You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm Pastor Joey, and I hope what you're about to hear blesses you, increases your love and knowledge of Jesus, and answers any questions that you might have about Him. Verses 23 through 26. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Good morning, everybody. Uh, So 2012 was a great year. I was a junior in college, and uh, Rebecca and I had just begun dating. It was a great year. And then to top off just a great year, Macklemore released his famous track, Thrift Shop. Who here remembers that? Anyone just like literally had that on repeat all year? So, you know, it's been a while since I listened to Macklemore, but earlier this year he came out with a new album, and in my conscience, I can't recommend that you listen to it, but I went ahead and listened to it once. I was like, I'm going to listen to this once just for the sake of, you know, uh, sentimentality, I suppose, nostalgia. I listened to it, and uh, he has a song on there entitled, I Need. I want to read it to you. Here's what he says. I need love, love. I'm making history. I need paparazzi popping pictures every place I be. I want it all. I want it all. The American dream. I got everything and I still ain't happy. I got everything I need, so why am I falling on my knees? I got racks on me. Money ain't a thing. All I really want is to be free. Look at me. I want to be seen. I want to be loved. I want to be felt. don't want to be judged. I need some healing because I cannot feel it. I do not know who I am. done so many drugs. I lost who I was. Every person I let in my circle is secretly lurking out for blood. I'm still flexing on the gram just to show them that I have it. This is the price of fame, ever ever going backwards. But none of this is working. Where's the purpose in this palace? Spiritually sick. I didn't even know I was malnourished. Everything is desolate. Botox on my forehead. They can't see how stressed I am. Everything I ever wanted. The Trinity. Money. Power. Respect. In the end, were the three things that led me to death. You know, we all just want to be loved. We we want to find a source of love that's going to make everything make sense, that's going to make all sadness go away, that's going to make the, the dark clouds lift of life. We all want to be loved, and that's put in us. That's not an accident. That's not just like um, a coincidence. We were intentionally wired to desire nothing less than perfect love. And only Jesus, who reveals God, who is our bridge to God, only Jesus is that source of love. And so Jesus is praying today for his disciples, for you and I, and he shows us the love of God, what the love of God is like and how we experience it, what that's like. So there's three points today. You and I can have the love of God today. We have the love of God today. Secondly, we have the love of God forever. And the love of God is assured. Love of God today, love of God forever, love of God assured. So let's meditate on God's love today. Go to verse 23. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one. So Jesus is praying for oneness, for unity. We talked about that last week. But here's the result. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So you and I today, right now, if you're a Christian, you have access to the love. You, you are the object of love just as Jesus was the object of love. Like that same love that Jesus enjoyed, you have access to that love as well. So the question is, how does God love Jesus? That's the love we're to receive. That's the love we're to expect to experience. Jump to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So the love that God has for the Son uh, existed before anything ever began, before anything was ever created. In the beginning, the beginning that we know of, of course, God has no origin, no conclusion. There was this rich, ecstatic, perfect love between Father and Son. Everything that the Father would demand, everything that the Father would require, everything that the Father is worthy of, the Son constantly gave. And so the Son continually, eternally meets meets the Father for, for what He deserves, loves Him in return. There's this, there's this symphony of love that's surging between Father and Son. So this love is without deficiency. There was never any trial period. There was never any maturing process. Uh, there was no withholding of love. It was perfect love from the beginning, complete reciprocation, open-heartedness to one another, Father and Son. So this love that we are now the object of, that we have access to, it's a perfect love. There's no deficiency or flaw or weakness in it at all. This love is the same love that Father and Son share, that the Son is the object of. But more than that, this, this love is also, uh, if you can't get better than perfect, like what, what, would we, what, we, what, what would be better than perfect? An abundant love, an overwhelming love. And you go back to verse 24, and you see Jesus says, I want them to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me. And so it's because the Father loves the Son that he was glorified. And so how do we understand that? What does that mean? It means that Jesus was exalted in heaven. Jesus was esteemed in the heavenly realm because God loved him so much. So it's this perfect love that God has for the Son that results in the love being the, the Son being the apple of his eye, being preeminent in heaven and in all creation. So Jesus, because God loves him perfectly, is esteemed in heaven. All of God's pleasure, all of God's delight is fixated on Jesus. And just so you know, that's why creation occurred. That's why you and I are here. God did not create the world and everything in it out of a place of deficiency, like he was lonely or needed a hobby or needed a muse. It is because Father and Son have so much love surging between them that the natural result of their love was everything was created. God had more than enough love to give. The Son had more than enough love to give. And so creation occurs. A fireworks of abundant love happens. We think that love, uh, you know, in our 21st century, our very romantic, idealized culture, we think that love is, is like this desperate kind of thing, like I need this thing. Uh, we, we think it's uh, uh, needy. Remember that line from Jerry Maguire at the very end, like the climax of the movie, he says, you complete me. And we, we see that, we're like, oh, that's so sweet. When you actually really think about it, it's insane. Like that's unhealthy, right? 
But we like that because we have, we cannot conceive of a love that's totally selfless, totally perfect, totally abounding, totally self-sufficient. The only kind of love we've ever experienced, the only kind of love that we've ever possessed for another person is a measured love. But the love that is surging between father and son that now we are now the object of is perfect and abundant. So the full picture is that because God perfectly loves Jesus, it causes God to rejoice in him, to delight in him. So now go back to verse 23, that line. We are loved, we are to be loved even as you loved me. Now that's pretty unbelievable. And just in case you think we're just making too much of this one phrase, that we're loved even as the Son is loved, go to verse 26. It says, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So the perfect love of God for Jesus that causes him to rejoice in Jesus to the, to the degree that all things were set in motion is the love that we now possess, the love that we now have access to. We are the object of that love. And just so you know, this love is not earned. Uh, we're used to loving people to the measure of the good they do, but when you are in Christ, when you're a Christian, this flawless love of God is yours independent of what you do, good or bad. You cannot increase it, and you cannot decrease it. God loves you invariably, unquestionably, unflinchingly. That's what it means to be a Christian, to have that kind of love. So God rejoices in the Son, and if you're in the Son, He now rejoices in you. Zechariah chapter 3 says that He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's the Christian life right there. That's how God the Father feels about each and every one of you who are a Christian. He rejoices over you with singing. He dances over you in heaven above. That's how he literally feels about you. He has deep, strong affection for you, the same affection he has for his very own son, perfect, abundant love. Now, if you and I really got this, if we, if we actually believed this, it would revolutionize our entire lives, wouldn't it? It would change everything, wouldn't it? I really think all the problems, literally all the problems in our life, you talk about marriage problems, you talk about problems in parenting, you talk about problems in your unhappiness in your work, problems in suffering and in trials, right, and trying times, like all the problems in our life, how we encounter them and navigate them, uh, it comes down to how we go through those things. It comes down to the simple fact that we fail to realize that we are loved by God with a perfect love. All our problems in life come down to the fact that we forget that, that we're loved with a perfect love. Because if you knew that God loved you like this, how would life be different? You'd suffer without complaining. You would accept criticism without defensiveness. You would be content and unknown and in mystery without freaking out. You'd be okay with the outcome to anything. You would be okay with the outcome to anything if you knew that God loved you this way. Because you know that everything that's happening in your life is coming from the Father heart of God that's surging with perfect, abundant love for you. Therefore, whatever's happening, good or bad, it can't be a bad thing, <laughs> especially the bad things. It can't be a bad thing because it's coming from this God. You're a perfect Father. Romans 8 puts it this way. If you know that this is how God loves you, you are more than a victor, more than, victor, more than a conqueror, it says. Now, how is that? How can we be more than a conqueror? 
But conqueror is all we got. That's the highest standard we can think of. But in Christ, we are more than a conqueror. How is that? It's because God's love finds a way to take the bad things that you and I encounter and redeem them and make it useful to us. They all come from the, the heart of a loving father. So the question is, do you really believe that this is true? Do you really believe that this is true, that God loves you this way? Some of you struggle to believe this and live in this and mm, be stabilized by this because your earthly parents didn't love you like this. And you are projecting your experiences that you've had with your parents onto God. You're holding the mistakes of your parents against God and you think that he certainly can't love you this way. He doesn't feel like you this way because you've never received that from your parents. You have to remember that's not who God is. We have to remember to not take our experiences that we've had in our life and project them onto God as if our experience defined who he is. He sets the terms. He sets the precedent. He is the Father, our great Father. And I just want to take a moment here and talk to you parents just for a, mo- a moment, especially you dads. You, you will define who the Father is, the Father above is for your children. The way that you speak to them, your children, the way that you interact with them, that's the impression they're going to get of their father above. The voice that you use to them continually in your life with your children, that's going to be the inner voice they hear the rest of their life. That's going to be how they imagine God speaking to them. And so you dads and parents, we have the great responsibility to show our children the love of the father, who he is. And so if you want to do a good job of that, if you want to be a, a good image of the Father above, all you have to do is get to know Him. Be close to Him. And the rest will take care of itself. Some of you, though, uh, the reason why you don't live in this, aren't stabilized by the love of God, is because you think you're too rotten. You think you've done too much. You think you're too far gone. But I just want to remind you that God's heart goes out to sinful people. We get this wrong. We think God's heart goes out to righteous people, flawless people. No. God's heart goes out to weak, wounded sinners. The Gospel of Luke says Jesus came to do three things. To seek and save the lost, for the sick, not the well, to eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Who does Jesus love to spend his time with? Who is Jesus' mission for? People who are rotten. People who don't have it all together. Some of you struggle to live in this, to be stabilized by God's love for you, because you're looking everywhere else but God to get this. You're looking for a romantic relationship to be the source of love for you. You're looking for your kids to be the source of love for you. You're looking for your career to be this source of stability and love for you. And what you're doing there is you're putting a burden of expectation upon people, places, and things that they were never created to uphold. They can't do it for you. You're asking too much of people, places, and things. You were made by God for God. Therefore, the only person, the only relationship that's going to stabilize you and make sense of life and make you whole is God himself revealed in Jesus by the Spirit. And so the reason why you're fragile, the reason why you're struggling, the reason why you're distraught is because you're putting way too much burden of expectation upon things and people. They're not going to make you happy. They're not going to do it for you. I listened to uh, Tim Keller preach on this passage, and he said that sin, our sin, our brokenness, it's like a rock that's weighing on our heart, that's just pressing on our heart. And all the other avenues we take to relieve ourselves, whether it be self-help therapy, 
whether it be a romantic relationship, whether it be careerism, like all the other options that we try to pursue to remove this rock from our heart. He says, it's like taking a little water pistol and trying to shoot that rock off your heart. It's not going to work. It won't move that burden off of your heart and free you. The only one who can remove the burden of your, off your heart is the Father in heaven revealed in Jesus. So we have this incredible love of God today, today, right now. Even as Jesus is loved, so are you. So the love of God today. But also the love of God is going to be our forever. It's going to be our eternal destiny. Verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants his disciples, you and I, to be where he is. Now, where is Jesus about to be? Heaven. Everyone knows heaven. So what's so great about heaven, though? He wants us to be there with him. And what's so great about heaven? What's so great about heaven is that we will be incorporated into the glory and love of heaven. We will be incorporated into the glory and love that is surging within the Trinity itself. You see that in verse 24. I want them to be where I am, to see my glory, to witness my glory, to partake of my glory because you loved me. Like we are to be caught up in the glorious love of the Trinity forever and ever and ever. C.S. Lewis says that uh, if I find in my, myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, all of us move through life, like I read in the beginning, wanting a love that's going to make sense of everything, wanting a love that's going to make us completely happy forever. Jonathan Edwards is the premier thinker on heaven, the premier theologian on heaven. And he says, this side of heaven, this side of heaven, there are five uh, things we experience in love relationship that make it disappointing, that make it frustrating. Here they are. One, we all want to be loved. Like, we all want to be someone else's prize. We want to be someone else's fixation. We want to be treated like that. We hate being used. We hate being used as a means to an end. Like, when you find out that someone just loved you and wanted you to get to something else that you had or someone else that you had, it hurts. We want to be loved as the final end, as the final goal. But we're not in this life. That's not what we experience. That's frustrating. We want to be loved. Second reason why love is frustrating, he says, is because we can't express our love. We don't like being vulnerable. We fear being transparent. We don't want to let anyone in and see just how much we need them and how strongly we feel about them, how much we appreciate them, because what if they don't return it? That's the third thing. We want to be loved mutually. We want reciprocation, but that's not what we experience. Fourthly, we want to love others into happiness. Like, we want to save others. We want to be the hero in a relationship and make someone else's world bright and ecstatic. But that isn't what happens. Fifthly, finally, we don't want to say goodbye. We don't want love to end. So five reasons why Jonathan Edwards says it's frustrating in this side of heaven. We want to be loved. We can't express our love. We want to be loved mutually. We want to love others into happiness. We don't want it to end. We don't want to say goodbye. We were made by God for God. We were built for perfect love. And this, the frustration that you feel in love relationships that, that don't hit that standard, it's not some conspiracy against you. Like things aren't set up to just make you miserable. Things are set up to suggest to your own soul that the reason why you're experiencing that frustration is because 
You were built for love, but it's not going to be here and now. It's not going to be with anyone else or any other thing. It's going to only be by the one who created you, created by God for God. And we're going to experience the fulfillment of every single one of these desires for love and glory in heaven, face to face with God. So in Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Heaven is a Place of Love, he shows us how all these things are fulfilled. I'm going to read a, a section of it for you. You can read along with me on the screen. He says, Love is in God as light is in the sun, as the great fountain of light. And from God, love flows out towards all the inhabitants of heaven. It flows out in the first place necessarily and infinitely towards his only begotten son. So Jesus is the object of that love. The son of God is not only the infinite object of love, but he's also the infinite subject of it. He is not only the beloved of the Father, but He infinitely loves Him, so the Father, the Son loves the Father in return. The infinite essential love of God is, as it were, an infinite and eternal, mutual, holy energy between the Father and the Son, a pure and holy act whereby the deity becomes, as it were, one infinite and unchangeable emotion of love proceeding from both the Father and the Son, love surging always between them. But this love is not confined to such exercises as these. It flows out in the innumerable streams towards all the created inhabitants of heaven, to all the saints and angels there. So we are going to be caught in this deluge of love as well. They are all united with one mind to breathe forth their whole souls in love to God their Father, to Jesus Christ their common Redeemer, and head and friends. So not only will we be caught up in this love, but we will also pour out with this love to God and to one another. And so what? We all want to be loved. We want to express love. We want perfect reciprocation. We want to lead others into happiness. We never want it to end. And what Jonathan Edwards is saying is in heaven, all that will be flipped on its head. You will get everything that your heart cries out for. Perfect love that never ends. Perfect reciprocation in a community of love. And he goes on and says this, to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. So have you ever laid awake all night just freaking out about eternity? Like, what am I going to do forever? And what's the, isn't that going to get boring and old? I used to like lay in bed as a teenager, like freaking out all night about, well, do I even want that? I mean, I definitely don't want the older alternative, but uh, it's going to be boring. What am I going to do forever? Just sing songs? Eternity in the love of God, Father and Spirit, it's going to be time standing still at your happiest moments. Think about your happiest moments, your most ecstatic moments you've ever had in your life when you got married, when you saw your bride walking down the aisle, when you met your child as they entered into the world, when you were just gaggling with a group of friends, losing it in just complete hysterity. I mean, all the good things in life, they're, that's, that's the good stuff in life. It's just a shadow of the substance. Your happiest moments in life, eternity is time standing still in those moments, caught up in this perfect symphony of love of heaven. This is what you're made for. You're made for perfect love. And so, since that's the case, until then, we're going to feel like fish out of water. 
You know, we're, we're, we're going to long for it. And we're going to get in part, we're going to get a foretaste of it because this love is available today, but we're never quite going to get it all. But when we arrive in glory, we'll be plunged into the fountain of love himself, God himself. So if you're a Christian, have no fear of death. Jesus has crippled death, and one day, death will be defeated. So Christian, you can actually taunt death because death will do you a favor. Death will plunge you into the water that you were meant for. Everything sad will come untrue. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to also say this to you. Uh, If you're not religious at all, if you're here and you don't subscribe to any faith, you don't subscribe to any religious background, it's not something you think about, not something you care about, you just got to know that death is going to take everything from you. Death is going to deem every, is going to take everything that you deem meaningful and take it away. And here's what I want to say to you. You can't deny what your heart wants and explaining it away with cold, hard facts, like we're just going to be fertilizer, we we're born, we live, and we die. It's just the process. You know that's not true because everything in your lived experience tells you otherwise, that you were built for this. It's not just, you know, um, chemicals in your brain that the evolutionary process has put there to, get, to make your, your lineage survival of the fittest or, or something like that. You know there's something more transcendent and powerful at stake here than that. Love tells you that. Your happiest moments in life tell you that. So if you're not religious at all, you just need to know that death will take away everything you deem meaningful. If you're here and you are religious, vaguely religious, thinking that you're a pretty good person, you should be fine, here's my question for you. How do you know? How do you know that you're a pretty good person and that everything's going to be okay? What's the standard of what's good enough? Who gets to decide what the standard is, is, what that standard is, what's good enough? Do you get to decide that? So here's a question. Are you really ready to meet God face to face and make your case with him that you're better than most and he should just look the other way and all the bad stuff that you've contributed to and participated in? I'll tell you what, if that's who our God is, just a God who's going to look the other way and sweep things under the carpet, that's not a God I really want to spend eternity with. It doesn't sound that great. And so please don't make your calculation about whether or not to follow Jesus on the basis of pride. That this isn't true, that I'm going to have the final say, that I'm good enough according to my own criteria. Don't make your calculation on pride. Because if you decide on the basis of pride, God will let you have your way. People in hell would rather be princes in hell than servants in heaven. C.S. Lewis says that hell is locked from the inside. That even in hell, our heart doesn't change. Even in hell, we want to have the last word. Even in hell, we want to say to God that you got it wrong. And so I'm telling you now, uh, sort of a wake-up call. Don't let pride, just the refusal to be wrong, be the reason that you don't turn to God, given the fact that everything in your lived experience tells you otherwise. So the love of God is available today. The love of God is available for all of eternity And the love of God, it's assured. It's certain. This isn't a joke. This is real. Two reasons why the love of God is assured. First, because Jesus initiated it. And secondly, because he reinforces it throughout our entire life. Verse 23, go back there with me. Jesus prays, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. 
So what does this tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he was sent to us. That means we didn't ask for it. It wasn't our idea. You know, every culture in the world throughout history, throughout the globe, has always had some form of worship. Some deity, some cultic rituals, like everyone worships under, on planet earth throughout all of time. What that shows us is we obviously know there's a God out there. We know there's something transcendent, but all of our manufactured ways of getting to God, it's us trying to pull down heaven to us and make sense of things in our finite minds, and it hasn't worked. The only way for God to reveal himself, the only way for us to be saved is if heaven came to us, is if God comes to us in the flesh. Jesus was sent to us. And here the word for sent is apostello, apostello, which the word apostle comes from. Now the 12 apostles, those 12 men, they had this office called apostle. It's a capital A. There's no more apostles anymore. Their job as apostles was to go into the world, the surrounding regions, and establish the gospel, establish the church. That was their job. They were the sent ones. That's literally what apostle means, sent ones, to go into a hostile, unbelieving, lost world. But Jesus was the first sent one. Here, before the apostles were ever commissioned with that kind of authority and role, Jesus says, I was sent from heaven. I'm the first apostle coming into the world of hostility, unbelief, and darkness, and it wasn't our idea. We would never know God if Jesus was not sent. We'd have no idea of what our need is if Jesus was not sent. In order for us to have any hope of knowing God's love, we need to know his love come to us. So this is why 1 John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So why, why do we have assurance that God loves us? I mean, we don't deserve it. We can't continually earn it and keep it. If it was up to us, if our confidence that God loves us when it was in ourselves, we should have no confidence at all. But God initiated a love relationship on the basis of his own grace. It was his idea, his decision. Such love, perfect love abounding in heaven that Jesus was catapulted from heaven to earth. And so God loves you. It's promised, it's assured because Jesus came to you. He was sent. We didn't pull down heaven to us. Heaven came to us. Secondly, the reason why you know this love is sure and certain is because it is reinforced. Look at verse 26. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. I will continue to make known your name. Now, what is the name of God? We talked about this before last week. The name of God is it's who he is. It's his essence. He tells Moses that his name is a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, sin, will by no means clear the guilty. It's just the perfect goodness of God, his grace and his justice. Jesus reveals who God is, but Jesus says here, I will continue to make known who God is. This amazing love that he has. Well, how is God, how is Jesus going to continue to make known the name of God, who he is, to our hearts? He's going to ascend back to the Father. So how is that going to happen? Because he's going to send the Spirit. He's going to send his Spirit. And the Spirit's job, what he does when he takes up residence within us, is he assures our heart of God's love for us over and over and over again. Charles Spurgeon one of his last sermons that he ever preached before he died was on the prodigal son. 
And there's this line in there that the father, of course, he runs to the son and it says that he showered him in kisses and he kissed him and he kissed him. Four words. That was all of Spurgeon's sermon. He preached a whole sermon on those four words and he kissed him. And Spurgeon's point for that whole entire sermon is this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the kiss of God upon you. The Holy Spirit is the warmth of God come to your heart with affection and strong knowledge of his love for you. Have you ever been kissed by God? Have you ever been reassured in your heart of his great love for you? Has the love of God been shed abroad in your heart? Do you know anything of it? I'm telling you, this is what the Christian life is all about. To know God's love. To be reinforced, stabilized by God's love. So we're coming to a close now. And here's, here's my, my thought I leave you with. Do you really believe that this is true? That God loves you like this? That the love that he has for Jesus himself is the love that he sings over you and kisses you with? and awaits to bring you into for all of eternity. Do you really believe that this love is for you? Then here's what you need to do. Seek it. Pursue it. Spend yourself and use all that you have to get in position to receive this love. And we say a lot around here, use whatever willpower you have to get in position to receive the power you don't have. Hebrews 11.6 says, God rewards those who seek Him. How amazing would it be for you to walk into the world every day, not needing anything from anybody else, not manipulating anyone else to squeeze out of them approval and acceptance and love, but to walk into the world loving other people. I mean, just, just overflowing with profound love, selfless love for other people because your heart is so filled to the brim already with a perfect love from God. This is the Christian life, guys to know the love of God for you and then be changed by it so deeply and profoundly that you love everybody else indiscriminately, almost outrageously. Not even almost, just plain and simply outrageously. But you can only do that if you're in touch with the love of God. You can only do that if you have fellowship with God and get in touch with His love for you. So do you believe this is true? Then pursue it like it's real then pursue it like it's real. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you and we ask that you would give us a sense of your love, that through your Holy Spirit you would kiss us, that you'd make known your love to us, that you'd shed it abroad in our hearts, that you would have a sense of it and be changed by it and transformed by it. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your Spirit. Thank you, Father, for loving us with a perfect and whole love. We commit ourselves to you now. We want this love to change us and make us wholly yours. In your name, amen. For more information about Citizens Church, please go to citizensannapolis.com.